I needed that tonight. I'm glad he's going to, we're going to have a lot to see up there, aren't we? But nothing greater than him. He'll be the focal point, I promise you. And uh, thank the Lord. Thank you, Miss Laura, for playing that and singing that with me. Would y'all open your uh, precious Bible tonight to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament? I'll just stay behind the pulpit if that's all right with you. And uh, I'll try not to get too far away from it. And uh, we're trying to get through chapter one. We're, we're doing this slowly. Uh, I've uh, been looking forward to going through this book, and then also I've been looking forward to going studying the life of David. Uh, I have been studying this morning for that as well, and I'm telling you, I'm just finding so much there in 1 Samuel. And uh, that's going to be a long series, but I hope that it will be as helpful to you as it has been for me. Um, in Jonah chapter 1, I'm trying to get to chapter 2. Because <laughs> chapter 2 is the good news. Chapter 2, verse 1 says this, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of his fish's belly. Actually, I'm trying to get to chapter 3. I'm sorry. Chapter 3 is the good news. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad we have a God of second chances? Aren't you glad we have a God of third chances? Aren't you glad we have a God of fourth chances? And you could go on and on and on and on. But before we get to chapter 3, there's a lot to uncover. And I think tonight we'll be looking at a subject that simply is really just considered this, a revival in the most unlikely of places. A revival in the most unlikely of places. If you think about it with me, let's look in verse number 11. Now we've done read chapter 1, 1 through 10 several times. But verse 11, they're, they're getting to a place of where they're, they went down and they found this sleeping preacher and they've done everything that they've tried to do to get the boat uh, safe. And they know they realize they're in trouble. So they're trying to get honest. And finally, Jonah becomes honest. If you look in verse number 11, the Bible says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? Because see, he just got honest in verse number eight, 9 and 10. He said, I'm a Hebrew. And he said, I'm, I'm basically the reason why this is going on on this ship. So they've done everything they know what to do. So in verse 11, they said, Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee? That the, sea, that the sea may be calm unto us. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. And so shall the sea be calm unto you. Notice this. For I know that for my sake, this great tempest is upon you. What a statement. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. Now let me catch you up. They realize they're in trouble. And so they're still looking at Jonah, caring for him and saying, what can we do? He said, there's nothing else you can do but throw me overboard. He said, because not I think. He said, I know that your life is in peril because of me. Now think about that. But then even after he said that, look what the Bible says these men did. They kept trying. <laughs> they kept trying to row. They didn't want to throw him overboard. And the Bible said, nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land, but they could not. For the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. 
Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll help us tonight. I pray that you will rebirth this message again tonight as you've helped me the first time as I have studied this. I pray you'll help it, help us to apply this to our life and it to be very beneficial to us. And we'll thank you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. A revival in the most unlikely place. You say, Pastor, I don't really know if a revival took place. Well, I believe a revival did take place on this ship. Now, when you read this account in Jonah, you might get the impression that these mariners, these this captain and these men on this ship had been going to church. Well, they had. Uh, you might have think, well, these, these mariners already knew something of the Lord. I don't believe they did. The Bible said they were calling upon their gods. But it's awful funny here. I believe the power of God, however, was seen clearly, perhaps for the first time in these mariners' lives, and they knew that they were in a serious condition. By the way, there became a hunger for God awful quickly on this ship. They had done everything they could have done. They were, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you know, I've noticed this revival often starts as a result of a trial or trouble. The first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards was a part of that great awakening, and he would often refer to a death of a very godly woman that passed away, that he would contribute a lot to the move of God. It was after a death of a, of a, of a, of a death of a prominent woman. And then also uh, the great missionary endeavor of William Carey. Uh, he gained support following the fire that destroyed the printing press and much of Carey's early works. And we know what God did there in his life. And then when we think about uh, just trials and troubles, I've looked back over my ministry and over our life. There's been many people saved at funerals. There's been many people saved in a in a hospital room. There's been many. There's been a, a work of God take place uh, on, on war-torn uh, battlefields, maybe in a foxhole. One of the greatest revivals that ever took place was in 1862 in the uh, state of Virginia in the Southern Army when Fredericksburg, of uh, the Battle of Fredericksburg, was looming. Uh, great revivals. I actually have a book on that that's called Christ in the Camp. And very few people know much about this, but Stonewall Jackson was just as much as interested about the salvation of the souls of his soldiers. He was winning the battles. There was great revivals that took place in tragedy and trouble and trials. And we see that the truth is people do get saved at funerals. They do get, uh, they do become spiritually hungry in a foxhole. And we find this same truth taking place right here in the book of Jonah. Now, think about this. Uh, when we seem to think that we're down to our last dollar and when our children are sick, let me tell you something, we pray harder, don't we? That's just the natural tendency of man. 
And God knows it. So yes, God was trying to get the attention of his preacher, but I want to tell you something. He got far more people's attention than this, this preacher. We find that he started to work in the hearts and the lives of these mariners. And I want to look at a few things tonight that I pray will be helpful. I want you to notice, number one, a spiritual reverence started to take place. Now this is what's interesting here. By the time we reach verse 16, the demeanor of the men that's on board has drastically changed. The Bible says, then, look at verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceeding. Now, just a few verses before, they were praying to their gods. Now the Bible says they feared Jehovah God, the real, true, and living God. They wasn't calling out to some, you know, wave or some gods with a little G. No, they were, the Bible said very clearly, their whole demeanor had changed. They, the men feared the Lord exceedingly. What brought about this humility? What, a, what brought about this hunger for God? Looking back through the story, we can see some things that I think will be helpful. Number one, I believe we need to look at their conversation. Look at their conversation. Look at verse 9 through verse 11. Let's just read it again. And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Notice this. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Why? Because he told them. So it wasn't because they had a personal knowledge of the Lord. They believed what this man said. Plus, they realized this wasn't an ordinary storm. They realized this was no ordinary storm. They really truly believed that this was the true and living God. And so they started to have this conversation with Jonah. Now, let me just say this. When I think about this passage, what shall we do? Here's what the Bible said. Here's what he says to him. What shall we do then unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us for the sea wrought uh, and was tempestuous? They realized this was no ordinary storm. Hey, they are now fully aware that they are in the middle of God's judgment in a flimsy boat. Now, it certainly was a seaworthy vessel, but when you have a God trying to get a hold of a running preacher, I want to tell you something, I can promise you that boat felt flimsy. Now, let me just say this. This conversation, they realized that they were in the middle of God's judgment. It kind of, it kind of resembles the same as the thief that was on the cross. As he was there hanging with Jesus Christ, the thief on the cross recognized the trouble that he was in as well. Why do we know that? Because he said to his partner in crime, here's what he said, Doest not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our needs? Here's my point. Here's the conversation that took place in Jonah's life. The Bible says he knew that the sea was tempestuous because of him. Do you, you know what was going through probably Jonah's mind at that point? Jonah would have done a whole much better to remember the words of Joshua. And by the way, here's the application for us. It would do us a whole lot of good too to remember the words of Joshua. And here it is. Now therefore, fear the Lord. 
and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. I can promise you this, in the, in the middle of that storm, Jonah was wishing that he could do a redo. And by the way, how many times in our life after we get ourselves in a mess that we wish we could have a redo? So this is a warning to all. If Jonah, the preacher, the man of God, the one that God just spoke to in chapter, the beginning of this chapter, and told him very clearly to go and preach against this wicked city, could get on a boat, go down to the ship, go down to Joppa, and get away from the will of God. Listen to me, ain't, ain't none of us as spiritual as Jonah. And so it would do all of us well, too, to remember the conversation that he had with these men. There's always a fessing up time. He said, no, I'm a Hebrew. And he said, I'm the one. I'm the reason why your life is in jeopardy. That is a sobering thought. So we see their conversation. But then I want you to notice the conclusion, their conclusion. Jonah knew that the only hope that these men had of saving their lives was to take his. Now, I want you to think about that. He knew that. Now, he had no premonition that God was going to prepare a well. He had no premonition that. He knew if he got thrown out of that ship, he was going to die. But he also knew it was time for him to be honest and say, no, it's me. I'm the one. I'm the reason why your life is in peril. So the conclusion is very simply this. We find in verse 12, the Bible said, and he said to them, take me up. Cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know, and I'd like for you to mark, if you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you need to mark those words. I know that for my sake. Here's my thought. How many things are taking place in other people's life because of me? The decisions I've made, decisions you've made. I want you to think about that. That's sobering, isn't it? Could you imagine there could have been a little boy looking for his daddy to come home that night and he wasn't going to come home because of the sin of Jonah? What do you think about that? That's, that's quite sobering. He said, I know it's me. He said, I know it's for my sake that this great tempest is upon you. No, no one, listen, here's the application. No one ever plans on sin coming to such a tragic ending. Nobody. None of us. We ever look at it. We never think of it like that. We never do. Look, no one who holds their infant child, nobody, nobody that holds their little baby boy or their little baby girl ever thinks of that little girl, little boy running away from home and becoming a drug addict. Nobody. Nobody ever thinks like that. Nobody ever thinks about uh, who takes their first little sip of alcohol. Their first little drink. Nobody ever thinks that, oh, I can handle that. I'm just going to take a little drink of alcohol. No one ever dreams that they can do that. Get in a car and kill somebody. But it happens. See, there's always tragic consequences to our decisions if it's sin. Look, no, nor does anyone who take a few steps away from God's will. Honestly, nobody ever thinks that we'll ever, we will ever do something so bad that it will it will require somebody else's life. Jonah had no idea when he boarded that boat and went down to Joppa and went away from the presence of the Lord that he was going to put a whole ship full of mariners' lives in jeopardy. And neither do we. 
God help us. Could you imagine if you or I was responsible for someone else's life? Because of our decision to get away from the Lord and to run away from the presence of the Lord. See, Jonah had no idea. He, and by the way, we never do either. We never look at this and say, oh, this is the way this is going to end up. We always make excuses for it, say, oh, it'll be okay. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure Jonah did all of that. But you know what? It was a big deal. His sin put so many other people's lives in jeopardy. That's the conclusion. And by the way, it was going to cost him his life. He's the only way you're going to get out of this is you take my life, throw me off the ship. So we definitely see there was definitely a spiritual recognition here. But I want you to notice something else. We also see some sacrifice here. There was a sacrificial reconciliation. Look at verse 16. Here's what's, these men are offering up sacrifices now to the Lord. This is going on. And when these men left the port a few hours earlier, I don't think they were ever planning on dealing with this. They never dreamed that a, that a sleeping, backslidden preacher would get on their boat and cause them so much trouble. But they realize it now. And by the way, that's when the revival started to come because they realized their lives was in peril. And they believed Jonas. You know, we know this is no ordinary storm. We know this is judgment of some kind. And here's what they ask him. Why have you done this? Why did, isn't that amazing? Lost people know what to tell you. Think about that. They looked at him and said, then why did you not do what your God told you to do? Good question, amen. So we see something here. Notice this. Notice the effort of man. Now these men had no doubt been in storms before. They had like a protocol, no doubt. I mean, there was a routine that we find probably was followed in these verses many, many times. The Bible said in this emergency in verse 13, here's what they did. They said, the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea rot was tempestuous against them. They had already appealed to their gods. The Bible said they didn't pray. They had done thrown out everything off the ship that was weighing the ship. So they had some kind of a human effort that no doubt had worked and would work in most cases. Row harder, pray to their gods, which are no gods at all, lighten the load, no doubt they knew this was a serious situation. They'd been there before. But here's what the Bible says. Then the mariners were afraid. Then the mariners were afraid and cried every man unto his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship and the sea. And they lighted, they wanted, they lighted the ship. So we know they were doing everything that they possibly could. Now here's my application. Here's my question. Why is it and often even... For sure it is with lost people, but it's often true with us as Christians. Why is the true God usually often man's last resort? Can I get an old me or old something? It's all pastor. We, we go straight to the Lord on every circumstance, do we? After a few phone calls first. After a few texts first. We try everything we can to rid ourselves, no doubt, of the guilt of sin. You know what they tried here? They tried their religion. You know why they tried their religion? They called upon their gods, little g, G-O-D-S. They tried religion. Hey, they tried reformation. The Bible said they cast forth wares. 
to no avail. But they're trying. Then they're trying good works. They started rowing harder. This is the picture of mankind. This is what we try to do. We try to get our we get ourselves in messes. We try to get ourselves out of messes. And here's the amazing thing. The only one that can help us is the Lord. But normally he's the last one we turn to. Think about it. We see in Ephesians chapter uh, number uh, 2. Verses 8 and 9. Pictures this when it comes to salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. But is a gift of God. Why is it? That it makes so much sense for people that are lost to think they can work their way to heaven. To buy or to do something. You know, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. Salvation is totally something that we cannot do. There is no relying upon ourselves. And I'm thankful that for this, for this truth. I'm glad that salvation is a gift of God. Because none of us merit salvation. But just as the unsaved, I'm afraid to say tonight and sadly say, God's people can also cannot get through storms of life on their own either. But boy, we sure try, don't we? I'll never forget I was in Bible college and I cannot remember, I think maybe Deerfield. I can't remember the pastor's name. I think his last name was Deerfield. I never heard this in my life. He preached a message on uh, Pride Busters. That was the name of the message. He said, Pride Buster. He said, I'm going to give you a Pride Buster today. And I mean, that's what he preached. But he preached out of this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. That's a Pride Buster, isn't it? Because, boy, we think we're sufficient of ourselves. And I'll never forget that preacher getting up and preaching that message that day at chapel. I'm going to preach on pride busting. And boy, you're talking about busting our pride. We are nothing without him. Amen? We're not sufficient. We think we are. And Jonah certainly thought he was. The Bible says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. John chapter 15 verse 5. But not only notice this. They tried all they could, but we realize that man's effort is in vain. Man's effort was in vain in this storm. Man's effort in salvation is vain. It's a gift of God. All of our sufficiency is not in ourselves. It's in the Lord. Yes, it busts pride, but I'll tell you right now, it's a better way to live. But I want you to notice something else here in this passage. We see something about God's mercy. There's an elusiveness to it. Now, upon reaching this conclusion that they couldn't do anything, these mariners now, in verse 14, they just kind of like cast themselves on the mercy of God after they've done everything they could do. Now they say, well, we're done. We've done it all. Now, here's what the Bible says. They've cast everything on the Lord. That's what they said. 
Bible says here, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. Sound like to me. Something's going on in these men's heart. But let me just say this. God's mercy does not come on our terms. I want you to think about this. God does not negotiate his grace with us. Here's what I mean. The formula for revival or the formula for getting right with God or the formula for having the power of the touch of God in our life, it's not negotiating God and saying, Lord, now if you do this, I'll do this. Now I know we've all had those prayers, but that's not God's way. The formula for revival is very simple and straightforward. We've heard this a thousand times. But here's the formula. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now here's what's amazing to me. And this is something that I'm learning as I'm continuing to study the life of Jonah and David. Neither one of these men were blessed of God because they didn't sin. They both sinned. Both sinned greatly. Now this, I can't fathom all of this. I cannot fathom the goodness and the holiness of God. I can't. But I'm trying. But even in this formula, God doesn't say he'll bring revival if nobody sins. He says if you will turn from your sin. So that means you've already sinned. And we commit sin. Amen. The Bible doesn't give blessings. By the way it's much better for us not to sin. That's what I said a moment ago about the life of Jonah. It would have been much better for him to remember. To stay away and went on and done what God told him to do. But the Bible says here in verse of 2 Chronicles 7, 14. He says, if my people were turned from their wicked ways, so that means they had to be wicked. And then the Bible says, and use this word, I will forgive you. You know what amazes me about the life of David? And I, I studied a passage today, to be quite honest with you, I never really looked at it like that. I don't want to give it away. I've been so enthralled and studied his life. But here, this man that was chosen of God, killed Goliath, was behaving himself wisely in the sight of all. Saul raised him up, put him over all the men of Israel, and then out of jealousy started hunting him. Here's what amazes me. Very early on, he runs to the very place of who the enemy was and tries to seek shelter with none other than Goliath's people. And not only there, why he's there, the Bible says that he starts to act mad. He puts on a show and he starts to drool all over his beard and he acts like he's insane. Now this is David. And I'm sitting here thanking God. And then I know the rest of David's story. He failed as a parent. He killed Uriah. He had adultery with Bathsheba. Yet this is the man that has wrote some of the most beautiful songs you'll ever read. This is the man that God's going to use and is a man for God's own heart. It's not because he didn't fail. It wasn't because he didn't make a mistake. I'm going to tell you what made the difference between him and with Jonah, the way they responded.
what we see here. He said, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him which while he was near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. See, God's pattern for revival. You can't negotiate with God. God's way is clear. No, you turn. We turn. We do what we do and then God will do what he will do. Amen. That's We don't negotiate with God. So many times people are negotiating. These men are going, oh, Lord, I, please let us be spared. Now, I'm not against praying and God sparing our lives, but I want to tell you something. We see something. The formula for revival is simple and straightforward. It's God's way. But then we see something else. We see a, a surrendered resolve. But I'm going to close. I want you to notice. Look at verse 16. We read that these men in the middle of a storm made vows. Now that's interesting. You know, I've noticed we do this too. Here's what's amazing. The God who we told no in church, when he speaks to us in the pew, many times we'll say yes to him in the crisis. Y'all get a hold of that. What we like to do is, and I've done it, I'll never forget, I went deep sea fishing one time and the people told us, said, look, seas are going to be horrible, rough. I said, man, I've never been motion sickness in my life. I looked at my brother-in-law and said, we'll be fine. They said, you need to get a rain check going the other day. I said, I don't. And he looked at me, his, salt, his eyes were as big as saucers. I said, we'll be all right. And he was like, oh, Mark says it's all right. We're going to be all right. Well, it wasn't probably 30 minutes later. Mark's over the bow of the boat chumming up fish amen y'all know what that means he was getting a real good look at the water sick as a dog and I'll never forget it I was so sick on that ship I, here's what I said I said Lord God if you get me off this ship I go to the mission field <laughs> y'all ever pray stuff like that but here's what we like to do we tell no we tell the Lord no when we're in a comfortable seat it's awful funny we're willing to do everything out there in the, in the boat no if it's good enough for him to speak to you in a comfortable chair in a comfortable pew you ought to say yes here instead of out there too they made vows that's what the Bible says they made vows so now they're starting to surrender here they're going Lord now these are men that were called upon their God just a minute ago now they're saying to the Lord Hey, we're yielding to you. We're yielding to you. We're paying vows. We'll do anything. You get us off this ship. So what did they realize? They realized it was a serious moment. Here's what the Bible said. So they took up Jonah, verse 15. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Can you all imagine this? Those men just took this man's life. In their mind, that's what they thought. That's why they prayed. They said, Lord, please don't hold this innocent blood to our account. This was no serious. This was a very serious moment in these men's lives. They realized that they were mistaken. God's command of killing and murdering someone, they realized they could be guilty of murder, and they just seen what God, how he was judging their preacher. So let me just say it this way. We all need to listen to this. The Christian life's no game. It's no game. Now, there's times we all can get blinded from this and we all can think, oh, that's no big deal. And, you know, sometimes we might walk down an aisle and we come to an altar and we tell the Lord something that we're will willing to do and yielded to do and then we turn back on that. Listen to me. It's no game. It has 
has consequences. Decisions must be based on God's word. And then once those decisions are made, they should be kept. God help us. But then we're going to close. There was a miracle that took place. Do you, do you suppose that these men watched as they threw him over the boat? I try to let the Bible come to life. And just, I mean, I can't imagine those men. But the moment, and you know, could you imagine they threw him over the boat? Could you imagine what they were thinking in their, in their minds? And like, I'm sure they were watching like, oh, we hope. But they knew down deep he wasn't going to live. Maybe one of them thought, oh, he's a great swimmer. He'll get, no, they knew he was going to die. They'd probably seen men die in that type of a storm before. But here's what the Bible says in verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Y'all believe they've seen that? Sh- I- I'm going to be honest. I think they've seen the fish. I don't know. They said he was swallowed up. Or he got caught up. I think, I don't know. I think maybe them whales are so big, I couldn't imagine one of them, and they at least not see the, the tail or the great fish not see the tail or the fin or something. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act like they've seen it. God doesn't say they didn't. And here's how I'm going to make this application. If these men didn't believe that God was behind this, they did when they seen that fish. I can promise you that. And the Bible says he prepared a great fish. Could you imagine being up on that ship and going, hey, when y'all got back to the shore, I can see y'all right now. You'd never believe what I just seen. I just seen a big fish swallow a man whole. And people are going to say, you're crazy. But that's what they seen. They witnessed a miracle here. No wonder we read that in verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. <laughs> then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Because they just seen something. They said, hey, look, we know that this is the real, true, and living God. Not only can he control the waves, he controlled a fish. We ain't never seen anything like this. But here's as I close, here's the application for all of us. Do we really have to wait for a storm or a fish? It's sure easier to make the right decision on land, amen? And that's the application of the story. It's sure easier to make the right decisions on land instead of waiting for that fish or that storm, amen? amen. We'll learn more about the life of Jonah i got to quit looking at that clock up on that wall because it's slow. And the one over here digitally is right. And that one tells me it's 8 o'clock. So all of you that are thankful for God's word, would you stand to your feet tonight? We're sure going to miss the Palmers. And, uh, but we're also very thankful. I know they're excited about getting, getting back to home away from home. And so let's pray for them tonight and let's remember them each day in our daily prayers. But let's close in prayer tonight. Let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray you'll help us to take these truths and put them in our lives. We're like Jonah. We're human. We make mistakes. We sin. But God, I pray you'll help us, motivate us to realize your will, your word is perfect. And I'll thank you for what you'll do in our hearts. 
Please be with the Palmers. Give them safety as they travel. Give them souls for their labor. And we'll thank you for what you do. We ask it. In